The Napa Know How Motorsport Academy is back, bigger than ever. The Academy offers tuition to all racers aged 13 and up, giving insights into the world of racecraft and analysis, plus information on health, sponsorship and media. On top of the information you'll receive, you can win regular prizes and best of all, it's free to join. Get involved at the new Napa Motorsport Asia Pacific Facebook and Instagram pages or visit the Napa Australia or New Zealand websites to sign up and be part of know-how that is synonymous with Napa. Start your engines. This is the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racer Podcast. Welcome to episode 24. Yes, that's right. 24 episodes of the Napa Grassroots Racing Podcast. We are looking forward to the next 24. We hope you've enjoyed the previous 24 Napa Grassroots Podcast supported by Napa Auto Parts here in Australia and in New Zealand. www.napaparts.com.au A very warm welcome for those that have been supporting the Napa Auto Parts Grassroots Racing Podcast and an extended warm welcome to those listeners. We hope you enjoy our show and of course those joining us for the first time. Know How Academy is a great free service to grassroots racers to help improve your racing fitness, diet, mental fitness, press, media, social media, strategy, sourcing, sourcing of sponsorship and partners, and much more. Grant Rowley has been out and about, and he's been putting up plenty of media on the Napa Grassroots podcast website there as well. And of course, a very, very big welcome aboard in recent times to race fuels for all of your finest racing fuels that you need check them out at race fuels fantastic to be here for episode number 24 bit a little bit self-indulgent bringing a media personality along for the ride with us tonight and uh, i'm darren smith my uh, man in the podcast here is gary o'brien well hardly martin short and steve martin in the only murder in the building podcast with a billion viewers on that on Netflix and other channels, but we're working our way there. Welcome Gary O'Brien after his first night switching over from auto action to Team Green at Speed Cafe and uh, his fingers are bleeding from all the stories he's got out there. Yeah, it's been a busy period the last few weeks, I must say. A bit harder than what I'm used to working, I think. <laughs> well, you've come to it right at the uh, the right end of your working life, Gaz, haven't you? You've <laughs> worked the hardest at the end. I'm supposed to slow down now, not get busier. No, that's true. That's true. Great guest on tonight, Gaz. Yeah, our guest tonight this time is an automotive journalist and publicist. He has worked in journalism for near on 60 years, and really only in the second part of that has it been in motoring and motorsport. He was a senior editor for the Reuters and AAP news agencies, worked in London, Sydney and Vietnam, and before that worked on several newspapers. Later, he joined Murray Publishers, a division of Kerry Packers ACP, and was executive editor of magazines including Wheels, Motor, Overlander, and Sports Car World. He then went freelance as a, as a motoring writer and publicist, holding the media management roles for the Gold Coast Indy, Pro Car Australia, the Volvo Dealer Team, Brisbane International Motor Show, and quite a few others. Working on the International Rally of Queensland led in 2008 to a role at Rally Australia. In recent times, he's been event manager at the World Rally Championship in Australia and has a hand in the famous Leyburn Sprints. He's a lifelong motorsport enthusiast, completed a little and has been slowly restoring an ex-Fiat 
Arba X race, be it Arbar since 2000 and something, which I would imagine should be finished by now. We'll find out about that anyway. Usually referred to as Nico, please say hello to Chris Nixon. Okay, thanks very much for having me, guys. It's really nice to be on the show. I hope we're going to have a good chat. I think we will, Chris. It's really uh, pleasing. I said in our opening remarks, it's a little bit self-indulgent for Gaz and I to have a, a guy, I guess, probably from the from the media centre, from uh, from our side of the fence on our uh, on our podcast. But uh, um, you know, a guy like yourself, I'll I'll throw the word legend out there as far as the amount of motorsport that you've covered. We always like to start off with the very first question to get things underway is. What was your, your your very first memory of motorsport in your life? What was the first time you went to a track or to a rally or a speedway or something and went, oh, this uh, this is pretty interesting. I could could do some more of this." This will this will surprise you. Um, it would have been in the uh, late fifties uh, when I was still a teenager. My father had a a boyhood friend named Walter Matheson who. Um, raced the Jaguar SS and um, Walter, after he retired from racing and he'd, he'd been at uh, Bathurst and other circuits just after the war, Walter invited me to um, go to the race meetings with him at Lowood where he was one of the officials. So from I reckon, I've tried to work it out, but I reckon from about 58, 59, he used to pick me up on the, on the curbside at uh, 6.30 on a Sunday morning and we'd drive up to Lowood uh, Walter would go and do his thing. Um, I would uh, have a pass, and I'd um, I'd wander I'd wander through the the treeless plains and dust of uh, Lowood, following motor racing, and uh, that's where it got into my blood. Uh, I've got vivid memories from that time. Um, you know, it, it was pretty basic motor racing in those days, but the uh, the memories that stand out are the um, the debut of the um, a Centaur Waggot GT that was driven by John French in which he won the uh, Australian GT Championship in. Still a car I see now and, and just one of my all-time favourite Australian race cars. Um, I can remember Glenn Scott vividly. I can remember seeing um, uh, Pete Gagan and um, John French on the front row of the touring car grid. Um, I can remember the 1960 Australian Grand Prix with Lex Davison and Bib Stillwell out the front. So um, that's where my memories start. Pretty, uh, pretty vivid memories you got there. You even remembered the dust and the on the planes at Lowood there. As soon as you oh, said that, it man, threw... have you ever been to Lowood? <laughs> no, I haven't, but it threw my memories back to 1980. Oh. Alder Park with the dust. So Lowood was a pretty raw, raw place because, of course, it was a wartime airfield. Um, you know, a hundred odd k's out of Brisbane, I suppose. Very flat, uh, not many trees, very dusty. And the, the the gentleman that you just mentioned, would, did he play any sort of further part in your, I guess, your growth in the motorsport world? Uh, yes and no. He was always uh, he was always interested in what I did from uh, from then on. We sort of, as he got older, I suppose, and I moved away from home. We, you know, um, we probably didn't see each other so frequently. I credit him with teaching me to drive, by the way, um, <laughs> because he was a Scotsman, and. Uh, <laughs> After every event on a Sunday afternoon, he'd sit around with the officials and there'd be a couple of whiskeys go down. <laughs> and then, and then he'd, he'd come out to the uh, he'd come out to the paddock where I was waiting and uh, toss me the keys and say, you can drive home. So I would I would drive home from Lowood on a Sunday night when I was about 16, I think. 
in his Cortina GT. And uh, um, Walter would sober up enough that when we when we arrived home, uh, he'd be able to take his car home from there. <laughs> so, so, so we, you got into journalism, obviously, and as we mentioned, you worked overseas. When you came back here to um, to work in Australia and obviously at the the, the hall of um, ACP, um, that's where the motor racing journalism side of it came. No, it didn't. In fact, the motor racing journalism um, came before that because um, when I was still living in Brisbane and still a young bloke, I started doing the um, the race reports for, uh, was it Australian Motorsports and Automobiles that Patrick Hayes uh, published out of Melbourne? And I used to do all the uh, the lakeside reports and the surface paradise reports. That would have been in the, um, in the late 60s, mid to late 60s. I did that. So... Um, then I moved down south, and I um, I really got out of it uh, for for quite a few years until, as you say, I came back to Australia. I'd been working in the UK and overseas, and I came back to Australia um, in the uh, late seventies, and I suppose started to work my way back into it, Gary. The um, the the one that when I first probably um, met you would have been with Procar or Gold Coast Indy, one of the two, but uh, certainly Procar was a big part of. Um, your life for quite a while it was i've had um I, th I think i've had three or four major roles i would say the gold coast indy was the first and that was um um that was pretty much a, a serendipitous um appointment i was i was around in brisbane um i was freelancing as a journalist i got a call out of the blue from the marketing manager at the gold coast indy in 1991 saying would you be interested in uh, doing a couple of days work a week for us um, I was to uh, supersede a guy called Colin Young, who did the PR for the first event. Um, so I, the uh, the first Gold Coast Indy was run in uh, in April '91. I joined the company in um, May '91 as a as a freelance PR manager, and it went from there. And I think I went through to I can't remember '97, '98. That was a that was a big part of it. And then out of that, I sort of uh, morphed into uh, uh, morphed into super touring. Kelvin O'Reilly, who ran the Super Touring Championship, um, was the marketing manager at the Gold Coast Indy initially. So um, that's the way things happen in our sport, isn't it? You know somebody and you know somebody and um, we, we all go around in the same big pool, don't we? Yeah, and I would have met you then in 92 because that was the first Indy I did. Yes, yes. and then Chris, um, Chris I've got to say, I would have liked to have met you in 92. That was when my driving career started and I probably could have uh, taken full advantage of your skills and contacts in, in about 1992. Oh, I don't know. I know we've got a lot of time here, but I wouldn't dwell on it too much. But I mean, I just regard that period through the 90s from 91 onwards um, as just being an absolutely golden time on the Gold Coast. I mean, they were... Fabulous events, and I think people have forgotten how great they were. The events and IndyCar was at its absolute top of its game in that in that you know that if that's a golden era of of IndyCar, um, it, it was it was massive. That was such a juggernaut every time it rolled into into the Gold Coast, and um, yeah, it was just a huge event. What was I guess one of your your standout memories in that period around those events? For, for the Gold Coast, oh, I, I would, I would, I would have to say that it was the year that Mansell came and Mansell joined the championship. Did he win the? Did he win F one in 90, 92 or ninety two or ninety three? I can't remember. 
Well, he, he won he won uh, F one the year before he won up at Indy. That's right. So I'm kind of I'm trying to remember where it was ninety two and he came in ninety three or ninety three and he came in ninety four. Yeah, it was one or the other. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was ninety three. He came to Australia um, uh, as a Newman Haas driver. Yep. Red um, five. And it was just fabulous. I mean, everybody went berserk that he was there. We had over eight hundred accredited media. And I have to admit, I don't think we were that discriminating, but take <laughs> <laughs> anyone. But um, you know, there there was an enormous interest. There was a whole party of um, journalists came out from the Fleet Street Press. So we had this bunch of guys, these bunch of lily white, chubby, pint drinking, Tommy <laughs> Fleet Street journalists coming down to Surface Paradise, and they'd never seen anything like it. Especially with um, what was what was going on in the high rises. Yeah, exactly. And they were <laughs> they were all there to do front page and back page back page of the biggest papers in Britain about Nigel Mansell and Surface Paradise. It was a <laughs> fabulous time, and you know the, the excitement around that was just sensational. And um, you know, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it was at every other event that I was part of as well. You know, to see. Um, to see um, Mansell, to see Emerson Fittipaldi, to see, um, you know, all, all the other great drivers. Um, um, it's got Pruitt uh, amongst them in there as well. Yeah, Pruitt. Um, Robbie Gordon. Robbie Gordon. Well, uh, Robbie Gordon was, was uh, I think he uh, debuted in the same year as Nigel Mansell. And uh, from memory, I think that event was his IndyCar debut. That was his first IndyCar race, and he was third. He was qualified third, and he was such a cocky little guy. You know, Mansell was Mansell. You know, some you know alternately a bit dour and you know and a bit entertaining. <laughs> Robbie Robbie Gordon was this cocky little yank. That's the only way you could put it, and okay. um, he was just brilliant. Well, he and, stayed you know, true to himself, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah. He's not so little now, though. Yeah, that's true. Um, but but interesting. You know, a greater contrast you couldn't have had, Gary. Yeah, interesting. You mentioned Robbie Gordon because um, Ford plucked him out of Stadium Off Road. That's where he where he came from. He was racing Toyotas of some description in Stadium Off Road, and they gave him a test in a Trans Am car at whatever track they went to and within he'd never driven on bitumen or raced on bitumen before and within a couple of laps he was quicker than their lead driver so they they thought this guy's obviously got a bit of talent and then yeah. they plucked him out and i think he was valvoline sponsored when he came to australia as well as ford valvoline or target i can't remember um but it, um but it was um my only real disappointment through that whole indy era was that um we never really had a um a good australian entry i guess until will power came along um and um and i think he was an a1 rather than indy wasn't he at that um, stage yes mm. a1 gp um, you know um uh brett murray and bruce allison and i went to um laguna saker in um i think about september 91 and bruce went on to do a uh, a test at phoenix during that trip and it was all looking pretty good, but the finance fell over in the end, and uh, that didn't happen. But you know, Bruce would have been a very good contribution to um, to India, I think, and could have done very well. 
Gary Brabham had a go. That didn't go too well. And that was the end of it. Jason Bright had a go. Say again? Jason Bright had a go, didn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Jason Bright did Indy Lights, didn't he, in the USA, didn't yep. he? Yeah. I can't remember if he raced in Australia. And not, of course, Paul Morris did Indy Lights as well. Yep. The, um, the, the other good thing about those events was that grassroots races actually got a chance to race there. We had the, um, because it wasn't a Motorsport Australia or CAMS, it was known then, didn't sanction the event. Then we got this uh, combined sedans, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it. And there was there was even um, touring car drivers and all sorts of different people running in it. Guys that would never get a, a run on a, a big stage like Surface Paradise. Well, there was BMWs like Tony Longhurst running up against the the best of the sports sedans that the country had there as well at one stage. So they you know, there really was some and big fields like fifty cars on the in the, yeah. in the field. And, and Darren, nobody would have cared because they were just there for the entertainment and the fun. You know, nobody would nobody would have taken those events seriously in terms of competition. You know, they were um, they were one off events largely as well. <laughs> I tell you what, Chris, when you were underneath the A and A hotel with a black Lamborghini boiling hot, trying to do a gearbox in it under there and get back out in the uh, the lovely Gold Coast heat, you know, the, the the crowds around the walls wasn't really uh, a high priority. You were just trying to get the race car back out in the track from well, of course, in, a, in a smoggy little uh, basement. Of course, you you remind me, uh, and what a lot of listeners to this show wouldn't realise was that um, that uh, some of the ports, the support uh, uh, category pits if you like were in the car parks yeah they yes. went downstairs in the a a hotel and it was it was chock-a-block with race cars it was fantastic there was nowhere else to put them <laughs> right up till they all wanted to go through a warm-up process then you sort of had to get out of there pretty quick <laughs> yeah 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 i mean if i really wanted to go back and draw a comparison i'd um i'd uh go back to the uh, surface paradise 12 hours and um a couple of those events were, um, were were pretty notorious for the fact that that people used to work on their um, on their race cars in the uh, motel car parks and uh, drive them out to the surface paradise circuit. And um, you know, GT forties and Ferraris um, were not unknown unknown on the public roads of surface paradise on the way out of the track. What a thrill that was! You certainly can't do that sort of stuff these days. More's the pity. Yeah, it is. Anyway, moving on to the pro car era, I guess there was a series that really catered for what is typically the, the topic we like to talk about, grassroots. We had Nations Cup, GT Performance, GT Production. These um, Some guys decided they'd get together and run some utes, and that got pretty big. Um, that era was particularly, I remember you did most of the media all on your own. There was no, no, no offside or anything for all of that period. Yes, it was. I used to write four press releases a night. <laughs> at the end, of, at the end of the weekend, one for every category. Um, <laughs> I, I, I remember. I once, got, I once got locked in at Wakefield Park, and I tried to leave <laughs> it about nine thirty on a Sunday night. And I stepped out of the media centre, and all the lights were out, all the cars were gone, the front gate was locked. I had to call security. <laughs> um, I, rem I can remember Queensland Raceway. You and I were the only two left. It was dark, and I finished what I had to do just before, because we were on deadline. That it was a weekly magazine at that stage. So I just sent the last of my stuff up and I was going back to surface. 
and I walked outside and you couldn't see your nose in front of your face. It was one of those moonless nights. Yes. And all you could hear was the... Um, the Crickets and stuff, yeah. Yeah, in the distance. And I tripped over something trying to find my car to get out of the joint and you were the only one left. Now, yep. I hope yep. you turned the lights out as you walked out. Well, I mean, I, I, I guess we're getting a little off the track here, but, but you know, if we're talking about the work we do, Gary, I mean, that's... Um, I've always felt that that's what a lot of people in the sport didn't appreciate, you know, that they did all their work during the day, whether they were drivers or mechanics or crew managers or whatever they did. Um, our work really didn't begin until the uh, until the last race. And then we'd, we'd sit down and we'd, um, we'd hammer away like heck um, to get our stuff done. But, um, you know, uh, many was the time I, I, I walked out of the building and um, I felt like I was the last bloke around except for... Um, Except for the cleaners. <laughs> yeah. I remember it wasn't pro car, but it was another group I worked, did a bit of work for. I had to do it at Malalar and they had a communal barbecue after the meeting. All the different categories got together. There was trucks and production cars, a few others. And by the time I made the barbecue, there wasn't one sausage left. Not one sausage gone. left. Not one sausage left. You got to, you got to, you've got to admit, Gaz, it wasn't the sausage you were after, though, was it? It was the frothy at the bar. <laughs> no, that was in the bus going back to oh, Adelaide. Right, right, right. That was right. all right. We're all right for that part of it. Hey, Chris, yeah. I, I, I'd like to just grab your attention around um, something that I really, really enjoyed was the Australian Super Touring Championship. You were you were involved there. I was I was you know coming out of the I guess the end of what I was was when I was racing, um, and those cars were just magnificent. They sounded good. They looked great. They were international. Um, your thoughts on on I guess the the rise and fall of the Australian Super Touring Championship? They were, you're right. They were fabulous cars, and it was a fabulous series. Uh, I uh, did a season or two as the media manager for the championship. And uh, from there, I moved across to Volvo and I was the media manager for the Volvo dealer team um, that um, had Peter Brock and then Jim Richards uh, and then a, a number of um, number twos, including Tony, Tony Scott. Um, oh, uh, fabulous. I mean, uh, I, I think it was I think it was destined to not succeed. Unfortunately, I mean, probably the wrong cars at the wrong time or, or uh, you know, uh, we were up against um, ultimately a a formidable rival in um, in the V8 Touring Car Series as it was then, and 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 Tony Cochran, um, and uh, we tried uh, we tried very hard, um, you know, and of course we secured the AMP Bathurst 1000 at one stage, but um, as a series, I thought it was fabulous. Those cars were the ultimate in high tech in their day compared to um, our domestic. Uh, categories. Um, I don't know that you could say the same now, um, but uh, certainly um, they were wonderful. And of course, some some wonderful racing. When you saw those four wheel drive Audi A4s and the uh, the Volvo S4 um, S40s and the um, and the the BMW 3 Series, it was just fantastic. And they were very very competitive because they were all factory back teams. And uh, I can remember there was a um, a year when I think the championship was getting pretty close to its conclusion and it was pretty tight between, uh, I think, the Audis and um, the BMWs, probably Paul Morris was leading, and um, BMW rocked up with these brand-new cars that were just 
unbelievable. They were just a, an amazing piece of engineering, and they were just they were just the most efficient and um, and effective weapons that I I think I'd ever seen. They were just wonderful. And Volvo did things, um, as far as I know, um, like uh, fractionally lower the turret of the car. They they were actually lower in profile. Um, <laughs> From one year to the next, they reversed the um, the rotation of the engine for for whatever reason, you know. So and you know they had uh, they had wheel bearings in them as big as dinner plates. Um, they were really really special cars, and of course they uh, they copped a lot of uh, derision from the Australian touring car traditionalists who couldn't see um, the sophistication in them and couldn't see the um, the pure satisfaction in them, but that's the way they went. Chris, can I, I don't know whether there is a parallel, but there is something going on right now in Australian motorsport um, with TCR trying to make a, let's call it a, another touring car uh, series in Australia going up against still the, 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 the supercars. Do you see, um, do you see the same outcome? I mean, you're, you're involved intimately in both the manufacturer and with the, the promoter back then. Do you do you see the the same thing that the the supercars will still reign supreme? Well, I think you have to accept that supercars are always going to be the premium category. Um, whether TCR um, survives and prospers in the um, in the long term, I'm less sure. I certainly hope it does because I love the variety of the cars, and it seems like the fans enjoy the variety of the cars, and um, they provide a second opportunity for a lot of very talented drivers who um, who can't crack their way into uh, into supercars. So I think it is a, it is a very worthy second category. Um, it has a very hard job ahead of it um, to to market itself and sustain itself. But so far, I reckon from my distance observation, they're doing a pretty good job, Darren. It, it is interesting that you, you way you look at it, Chris, because you, you look at super touring as well. They're probably 10 or 15 years before their time. It's time for these cars now because they are that old, that old adage of the cars that we're now driving on the, on the road. And, and it is absolutely going to all of the events, every single one of the TCR events for the first three or four seasons. It's brought an absolutely different crowd to the, to the racetrack gone are the, Let's call it the HRT and the uh, the Tickford Racing sort of battle jackets and things like that. It's bringing a different audience to motorsport. They're much like the Australian Grand Prix. You go to Formula One at, at, at Albert Park, and yes, there's some some diehard touring car fans there, but they're mostly there to see Formula Ones, and that they really only go to one race meeting a year. I think you have to note two things about TCR. Firstly, is that um, the cars are less expensive than they were in the Super Tour days. They are, you know, they're pretty good pieces of work, but they are far less uh, complex than they were in the days of the super tourists. Um, so they're, uh, they're less expensive to get into. Um, secondly, our, um, our domestic car market has changed and uh, we no longer buy Falcons and Holdens. Um, and so these cars are more relevant now, TCR cars are more relevant now to um, the retail market than uh, the super tourists were in their day. So I think they have a good chance to succeed. Yeah, I think they do too. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head. They'll play. They'll play number two for for quite some time. But that's okay. It, absolutely, it is. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. it is. I mean, we would we just touched on Nations Cup earlier before. You know, they were Nations Cup was supporting the the Super Touring Championship. 
Um, and then, you know, they, they were in the background and we had Lamborghinis and Ferraris coming out after Audis and, and BMWs. So that it, you, you do need, um, you do need those, those backups. One of the things that Gary and I discussed earlier on today was the, um, again, in the pro car era and one of the, the, well, the most enduring, um, category that came out of that era was the, the V8 Utes or the Brutes or, or whatever they were being marketed as you were you were right there at the coal face when they started rolling those cars out did you think that that would be such a success story in australian motorsport yeah i did yeah i did i think the uh, first round might have been in adelaide gary it was it was a part of the 500 yep and, uh, grand eight Denham. cars eight cars grand mad dog yeah but of the uh, head butt of the wall and uh, they they realized that they'd forgotten to disconnect the airbag from memory <laughs> Um, I think Rod Wilson won the first race, didn't he? Yep. Yeah. Yep. But th then um, uh, Grant um, gave him a Liberace in the next race or something and put him put them both out. For yeah. those kids at home, we'll, we'll explain at the end of the show what a Liberace is. <laughs> Got to <laughs> be careful. Uh, yeah, I mean the the youths were a great category. They were the um, they were the idea of uh, Grant Denyer, Craig's dad. No, the other way around. Craig, then your grand's dad. Easy <laughs> um, mistake to make. Common and mistake. um, and was it was adopted enthusiastically by the great Ross Palmer, um, and uh, and and uh, grew from there. And um, I think Pro Car ended up like TCR now, and like the Speed Series or those other series. Um, you know, ended up being a very viable, um, second tier series, um. I say viable advisedly, but of course, because of course, in the end, it uh, it, it collapsed. Um, but uh, I think uh, Ross deserves an enormous amount of credit for um, for what he achieved and for his vision um, in creating the uh, the Pro Car Champ Series, GTP, the Utes, Nations Cup, Bathurst Twenty Four Hour in two thousand and two and two thousand and three, um, and. We we all uh, I'm a a great vote of thanks I think he gave he gave careers to a lot of people and um, motor racing opportunity to a lot of people. Yeah, it was a bit of a shame that it sort of all fell over. I remember us having that meeting at Oran Park where uh, he just appointed a new event manager or marketing manager that was talking about let's we're going to rein in some of the costs and then Ross started talking about going to the Middle East and. <laughs> <laughs> all this sort of stuff <laughs> even before the uh, meeting was over two-seater two formula three cars and <laughs> well i mean the area encouraged f3 as well i mean yeah. ross was a uh ross was a ross was a visionary um and of course he was a prime example of how to make a, a small fortune out of a large one um <laughs> and, and he was just always leaping ahead, you know. He'd uh, he'd present his team with a, with an idea about something he wanted to do. Uh, Formula Green was an example where he wanted to do something like an index of performance at Bathurst yep. um, for the twenty four hour. And um, when we got to Bathurst, the um, the only the only material idea we had for for Formula Green was that David David Brabham planted a tree at the chase. <laughs> it wasn't wasn't Brock involved in that planting there as well. As well. Yeah, <laughs> and they've had to remove that tree because the roots were lifting up the concrete barriers. Yeah, that's that's about as far as it went. But I mean, Ross had all these uh, great ideas, and and before we'd accomplished one um, 
one commission from him, he would have well and truly moved on to uh, the next. You know, we wanted <laughs> the, to the other. Him. The other one was uh, we used to have to put the hippies stickers where the registration plates were on all the cars. It was, uh, I think, they were stockings or something. Yes, do you remember Poz Cola? Yes, Poz Cola. <laughs> Poz Cola. He uh, he invented uh, Formula Green uh, hippies, which I think was um, that was a um, a um, a stocking manufacturer run yeah, by. Yeah, I'm uh, pretty sure it was his daughter his daughter's business or something. Sister, I think it was. Yes, his and um, then then there was a pizza mob. Pizza mob, yes. Well, Ross, um, Ross, um, Ross uh, Domino's, I think it was that he invented. Oh, no, 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 they had their own. Um, Something, um, something boys, green. something boys, pizza yes. boys, yeah, like yeah, something like that. There was a few. This has turned into a marketing meeting all of a sudden. Where and then he, and then he had the ambition that he was going to develop um, um, a uh, a run of um, Brabham Honda NSXs. <laughs> oh, because... one of my favourite race cars. That and one. that and that car is still around, by the way. Ian Palmer still owns it. Yep. Um, they Has it got a Jard engine in it? Has it got a Yamaha engine in it? No, it no, the they, took, they took the they they removed the Jard, and I spoke to him uh, a few months ago, and I think it's got the Honda motor back in it now. Yeah, but I mean, that was a grand plan. The Jard engine ended up in um, uh, Dean Ty's um, hill climb, Dallara. Is that so? Ah, yeah. that well, it's won many championships since yes. then, hasn't it? Yes. So that was that was Ross. I mean, that was Ross, and that was Pro Car. I mean, he was. Um, He's a great bloke. Well, I tell you what, we went to a lot of race meetings, which he made sure happened for a lot of years. And, um, you know, obviously out of the, the ashes of that was, you already touched on the, was the, the, the speed series or the, the Shannon's nationals or the Shannon's Australian motor racing championships as they morphed down through the years. But, um, yeah, certainly without Ross putting a number of those categories on the one tour, let's say, or the one circus, whatever it might be, um, I, I don't think those other things would have happened as as the you know as the, as I said as the ashes everyone emerged from that and 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 went forward. And I've got to say, Darren, I, I mean, I I loved all those series not just because I worked on them, but I love them. I've got a, a a deep affection for production car racing. Um, I really believe that it's um it's it's true racing, true touring car racing, and um. I just loved it, you know, all the characters that we had in, in GTP and the variety of cars that we had, um, the competitiveness of it, uh, you know, whether it was um, Peter Boylan or Gary Holt or, um, you know, all the other names that that, um, that that went through there, Jim Zerifos, they all had a shot at it. They all brought fantastic cars. Interesting, I mean, interesting. Chris, Gaz and I have sat through many a three, four, six, eight-hour production car race and told people to wait for the end because you'll see how it plays out. The strategies in hour four are still coming out in hour six and the, and then the win um, with Gaz and I have sat together and, and on a Sunday afternoon, everyone else has sort of made their way out of the track and we're still calling a production car race for live streaming. Yes. And uh, you know, a, a couple of nightmares at the end of um, long distance races, of course, when the timekeepers tried to work out, um, you know, the lap charts. <laughs> <laughs> We had or the car coming down pit lane to do its final pit stop and the checkered flag coming out. Yes, yes. Or the, but, or the whole, or the whole uh, field following a safety car into the pit lane because the radios in batteries in the safety, safety car needed replacing. <laughs> Queensland yeah. Raceway fight in the night. I remember it well. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you know, that, that was uh, great racing, great racing. You know, and that's and that's 
you know, uh, GTP is, um, you know, really the uh, the descendant of how touring car racing used to be back in Australia in the 60s and even the 70s. That was when it was in its heyday. We remember it so fondly. Um, that's what that's what it became. Well, I guess yeah, the... improved production in the in the early seventies was what set up Australian touring car racing, wasn't it? Yep, yep. Couldn't agree more. So I'm glad it's still around, and I'm glad it appears to be um, as strong as ever. One of one of the um, significant ones in the era that I recall was the GT performance category, where we had the likes of Mark King in the Evo and Peter Floyd in the. Um, HSV. HSV and the difference in the cars, they get the same lap times but delivered in a whole different different manner. And for lap after lap, I'm, I think one that stands in my mind is Simmons Plains and the HSV would just be a missile in a straight line, but everywhere else the uh, four-wheel drive was all over it. Yes, yeah. And, you know, some very, uh, some pretty heated competitions, particularly when you've got... Um, Drivers of the likes of Gary Holt in there, who never took a backward step. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dean Dean Canto was also in that and amongst that mob too. Yeah, Dean Canto. WRX. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Winner of the winner of um, winner of the Sandown Five Hundred um, under Pro Car in a Maserati from memory. Correct. Yeah, I'm with with Elfie. Yep. Yep. Indeed. Um, yep. And uh, yes, I mean uh, just uh, just and a lot of characters in there as well. You never knew what you were going to get from Gary Holt if you had him on the podium. <laughs> I think um, motor racing's version of your Samby Sam, isn't he? Yes. <laughs> good luck out at Eastern Creek next time you head out there, Gus. Oh, no. He, he's a good bloke. His heart's absolutely yeah. in, the, in the right place. Yeah. When you get a call, you know you've done the wrong thing when you get a call from him and he's on a boat 40 k's out to sea off Port yes. Stephen somewhere yes. Yes. complaining about your press release. <laughs> yeah. And and recently I was somewhere, you know, just talking back to some of those characters. Recently I was somewhere and I bumped into Wayne Russell. And uh and I hadn't really seen Rain since uh since the Pro Car days, you know, and they were always um that family were always what I'd call uh, battlers. They came through with it somehow and they came up with some pretty good cars like the BMW M3 Coupe that they imported from Japan and uh, other cars and um, his two boys who he eventually brought along to uh, to drive with him and uh, pushed them up into supercars at one stage. And um, blimey dead at uh, Bathurst at Easter, they finished second, I think, the family team. And I was just so pleased to see them still around. Yeah, well, they won a round of the production car championship at City Motorsport Park last year too. Yep, yep. So, um, you know, that's um, that's what Pro Car produced. You you mentioned before too, then we should talk a little bit more about it. The Bathurst twenty four hour races. How good were they? Oh, fabulous! A lot of controversy about the fact that uh, that uh, Ross managed to find a way. Ross Palmer managed to find a way to uh, have. <laughs> have Gary Rogers build a couple of seven litre Monaros. Um, it de- it depends on the You're perspective. You're breaking my heart. Yeah, it it, it depends depends on the perspective that you look at it from. I guess um, if you were a purist, you probably would have had a problem with it from the sheer entertainment value and the um, and and I must the, say I wasn't a purist then because I yeah, loved finger, it. Finger with the value of it, I guess you know, like. It almost didn't matter that a Holden Monaro won. I mean, that was going to be a good headline. Yeah. Um, you know, particularly with those drivers. And rather than um, 
rather than some no names from Europe in a in a you know clapped out old nine eleven. Um, <laughs> I always remember Steve Richards saying when he did his stint, he went to bed, but he kept waking up and wondering if the car was still going. But you could always hear it <laughs> above everything else. And it was oh, so one, one good thing those Monaros did, and Grant Boyd and I stood in the commentary booth at Phillip Island and said, looked at each other, and both went. I never thought I'd commentate a race that Peter Brock was going to be in. And we both thoroughly enjoyed ourselves calling yeah. a race that yeah. Peter Brock was in. But the 24 hour, when you, when you took a thoroughbred Italian machine up there and those things rolled out, it was like, yeah, right. It's, this is not going to go well for us. Well, I, uh, you know, I, 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 I sympathize with anybody who is at a disadvantage in those two events because of those cars. But I mean, I, I have to hand it wholeheartedly to, um, Gary Rogers Motorsport that they were two magnificent cars, and um, and they still are, and they definitely showed the rest of the field how good they were at endurance racing because those things, you know, the uh, the yellow car in '92 uh, and the yellow and red car in '93, they just went on forever, and they were fantastic. You know, they were they were exciting, and uh, as I say, from the publicity viewpoint, there was nothing wrong with having um, some well-known Australian drivers uh, winning a well-known car. And uh, the controversy just added to it. But I have to say that I went up and down that pit lane and I drooled over all those other cars like, um, you know, like the Porsches and, and the Morgan, I think, which came in the first year, which was the a fabulous, fabulous attraction. And the, and the Mosler. Yep. And cars like that. Was there a Ferrari in there? There was a Ferrari with an American fighter pilot driving it, if I remember correctly. Yeah, so over and drove it. You know, it, it, it was a pretty good international feel. I can't imagine how much it must have cost Ross Palmer, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't think it would. I don't think it would have been too many people pay for themselves. <laughs> no, Chris, can I uh, just just lose focus on on that for a moment and just pick up on the uh, the rally aspect of your you know your career. Rally Australia, FIA World Rally, Rally Championship. What what took you away, I guess, from circuit racing over to to the dirt? Um, and and I'll I'll say that with one of our more popular guests that we've had on has been Simon Evans, and um, he was he's always been a massive draw card for rally here in Australia. But what took you away from circuit racing and took you over to to rally? Well, partly circumstances, Darren. I think because uh, um, pro car fell over. Um, I think I did another season or two um, um, working directly for um, Grant Denyer and Bill West uh, when they took over the Utes independently. But um, I had had a little involvement or a fair amount of involvement with uh, Rally Queensland, uh, which was an ARC round and also became a, an Asia Pacific round. And um, I did that for a few years. So it was a, it was a natural um, progression from there into... Um, into the World Rally Championship, which I picked up from 2008. And then I did um, I did Rally Queensland and Rally Australia simultaneously until uh, uh, the, the plug was pulled a few years later on Rally Queensland. Um, so that's how I got into uh, to rallying. I'd, I'd done a couple of media drives as a, in uh, rally courtesy of uh, Toyota and run by Neil Bates. And so I had a bit of an idea what it was about. And I had a few contacts and I was invited to go into it. And um, it all went from there. It seems to be the, um, seems to be the story of my career that, that I do things and I stick at them. And then somebody comes along and says, will, will you take the next step with me? So um, 
that's what I did. Um, I thank Gary Connolly for um, for getting me into um, into the WRC. At that stage, I thought I knew a fair bit about rallying, but I realised when I got into uh, Rally Australia that I knew nothing at all. Um, it was a completely different experience because we were dealing with a with a full FIA World Championship, and there were um, an enormous amount of of uh, procedures and protocols that the FIA uh, required that we uh, that we follow. So it wasn't like a, a an ARC round where you could, um, you know, it was a domestic event and you pretty much please yourself about how you did things and you only had to satisfy cams about certain things, which wasn't a, um, a particularly onerous requirement. The, when the uh, WIC came down, um, it was like um, staging a Formula One race in terms of, in terms of the, um, you know, the restrictions and the controls that were expected. Uh, I joined in 2008 in preparation for the first East Coast Rally Australia, which was held on the Tweed Coast in northern New South Wales in uh, 2009. Um, that was an extremely uh, controversial event that attracted a tremendous amount of uh, opposition from the uh, resident Green uh, population there. And uh, I had an extremely challenging job. And, and that issue was so time consuming to me that, frankly, I ignored some of the other aspects and requirements of what I should have been doing um, uh, to satisfy uh, FIA expectations. So when the event itself happened, <laughs> I was I was totally at sea. I was uh, I was completely at sea, and um, uh, it goes down as probably the most um, stressful experience of my career because I did not have a clue what was going on, and uh, somehow or other we um, we struggled through those three days. Um, the FIA's practice is for the FIA media delegate, who's their, um, you know, person in charge of um, uh, the whole issue of um, the whole matter of rally media. Um, uh, that that person has to write a post-event report about the uh, the media operation of the event, and um, I can't remember what my actual score was, but let's say it was Z. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it was a, it was a six-page report or something like that, and we're you know, wherever you could have you could have been graded from one to ten, I reckon I got zero or one. Um, <laughs> but I learned quickly, and um, I'm very proud to say that I think by the time we did our last event in our last complete event in 2018, and of course our abandoned event in 2019, um, the Rally Australia media operation was regarded as probably, um, in some respects, the best. In the WRC, not in all respects, but in but in some respects, the best in the WRC. Well, I must say, I went to the 2017 event and uh, at Coffs, and I thought it was one of the best run events I'd ever been to. The media centre was uh, far and away the best one I'd been into. You know, when the <laughs> when the boss's wife comes around and asks you how you like your coffee and remembers the next day, I think that says a lot. And the food was absolutely brilliant and. The fact that they put beers and wine out at the end of the day was pretty good as well. <laughs> well, you well, you're right. Um, that was um, that was the partner of the event chairman Ben Rainsford, yep. and um, I um, you know I credit Ben for a tremendous amount of support there. Um, but Gary, what it boiled down to to me, and I've always believed in this in every media centre I've been involved in, 
um, you know, and it depends pretty much on uh, what resources are available to you. But I've always believed that the working media, you know, deserves tremendous respect and gratitude, and you need to treat them as such. Mm. And okay. um, we certainly went out of our way to do that at uh, at Rally Australia, and it and it, it paid dividends because there were certainly times when the event itself, um, I think, probably attracted a bit of criticism, particularly from some of the team leaders and some of the drivers. And um, it didn't hurt to have uh, media who'd been well-treated and were therefore well-disposed toward us. Chris, you mentioned Gary Connolly, I, I guess from a, a very a long distance. I, I love rallying because it's the thing I spectate in motorsport. I, I go to circuit racing to, to, to work and be part of the, 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 the event, whereas I go to a rally to enjoy motorsport and just be, you know, someone standing on the side of the track in the bush. But I think the, the steely resolve of Gary Connolly over a very extended amount of time with Australian rallying has is what helped get that um, to that level. And I'll I'll open it up to you to to comment on that. But certainly over a, an extended amount of time, Gary's been there pushing the wheelbarrow, hasn't he? He's been out, he's been an outstanding official. He bowed out of um, Rally Australia, by the way, after the two thousand and nine event, and um, was succeeded as chairman by um, by Ben Rainsford. And uh, the, the the board um, make up changed from there. But um, uh, Gary had set the tone for it, and of course he was always a tremendous uh, tremendous advocate for it. We also inherited some of the um, the officials from uh, Western Australia, including Adrian Stafford, who'd been the um, the clerk of course in WA after Gary himself. Um, and uh, Adrian was um, was a highly capable uh, official who um, who ended up winning the FIA's um, official of the year. That meant that he was the number one motorsport official in the world in that year across all all motor racing or motorsport disciplines. So uh, that was the category of um, of personnel that we had involved in um, in uh, running this event. Um, Gary uh, was an innovator. He's still an innovator, um, regrettably not um, not able to um, make a contribution to rally because he's so involved with everything else with the FIA these days, um, including being an FIA steward, as you're probably aware. Um, but... Uh, you know, Rally Australia was a, is a fantastic event. I should make a bit of a diversion at this point and say, um, if you look at my history, uh, I joke that I've always been I've always been involved a little bit with the losers or the second tier. I worked at Indy when oh, you'll fit was... in well on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I, I worked at Indy when nobody wanted to know about it. It was a very very controversial event. And, you know, the locals hated it because they frightened the ducks in the park and they had traffic problems and they didn't like the noise and all that sort of thing. It took them quite a few years to get over their objections to it. Um, and it wasn't really until not long before I moved on or was moved on um, that I think we started to turn the corner of the Gold Coast. And then I went to Super Tourist. That, that was a big success. <laughs> then, I went, then I went to Rally Queensland and eventually that fell over. And then I went and worked for Rally Australia in the WRC, where I had a difficult job telling anybody even what it was, <laughs> and persuading them that um, it was it was worth their attention, you know. So I, I think I've always backed the losers. Um, well, you had Pro Car and the Volvo yeah, Pro Car, yes, well. Pro Car, you know, like. So, but um, 
I, I preferred it that way. I've always, I've always, prepared, I've always been happy chatting, plotting <laughs> my own course. Let's say. At least you didn't hey, have Chris, to worry about having a long worry about the uh, long service leave. Maybe, maybe, maybe I've had a good career because I've been the one who's been around to pick up the pieces. Everybody else has wanted something better. Who knows? Fifty nine um, years as a as a journalist uh, this year, Chris. I think you've 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 endured the hard times, but you and you've you've ticked the boxes of successes. That's for sure. Oh well, I love doing it, Darren. That's the that's the key thing, and um, I'm still um, kicking along in a very small way. I, um, you know, I'm I'm largely retired now. Well, I've I've been retired, um, just like Procar. Um, Procar evaporated for me. So did the WRC when we had the um, when we had the bushfires in 2019 at Coffs Harbour, which was forced the abandonment of the event. Um, you know, less than 48 hours before the start, um, uh, coincided with the um, with the schedule end of my contract, and of course there was no more um, there was no more event anyway, and so um, that kind of um, you know brought my uh, brought my full time career to a, to a pretty natural end. I think these days I'm involved with the historic sprints at Leeburn up on the Darling Downs, to, um, just a bit uh, halfway between Toowoomba and Warwick, and um, that keeps me entertained. And uh, that is uh, definitely a grassroots event. Yeah, well, t- tell us a little bit more about that. I, I mean, we've reported it for when I was at Auto Action. We reported it each year, but the you get hill climbers, you get super sprint guys, you get circuit racing guys, you get celebrities. Even the bloke that owns the pub was pretty well known uh, for quite a while as a Queenslander footballer. Yeah, um, it certainly has a bit a lot going for it. That event. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing. You know, it's it's, it's extraordinarily successful. Um, the organisers claim up to fifteen thousand people a year over the, over the course of the weekend, which um, pretty big number. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are there are roughly about two hundred and ten slots um, for sprints competitors. Um, so if you think that it's a one kilometre circuit and uh, you're only running cars once one at a time against the clock. Um, of course, there's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a finite number of competitors you can accept. Um, so uh, frequently they will have 220, 230 expressions of interest, and uh, that has to be narrowed down to about 210, 215. Um, and then, of course, you'll always have a few dropouts. And so by the time the event starts, um, you've got about the right number. So uh, that's a pretty entertaining uh, weekend if you're a punter. On top of that, they have um, a, um, a vintage caravan uh, show, which is a you know twenty or thirty vintage caravans that come up and they park at a paddock and people wander around and have a look. And we have a little competition for them. We have a show and shine uh, from sponsored by Shannon's on on the Sunday, and then usually we have um, some other sort of uh, feature attraction. Um, last year we had um, we had two cars that raced each other on the beach at Southport in about 1921 from memory um, to set the Australian land speed record. Uh, This was was a subject of a book last year. And uh, the year before that, uh, Brett Murray bought up his um, ex-Marcus Ambrose uh, NASCAR and we ran that as a demonstration. So there's always good things to see at Leeburn. And um, I've just been looking at the the situation with the campsites. They have it's a little town that's probably only about 400 people. It's got one pub, post office, one general store with a bowser out the front and a school uh, and a church um, and a cop, place, a cop shop. 
uh, that's all there is in that town. Um, but they've got a big camping ground and uh, come the event, there's over 700 campsites there, 700. And yeah, it's a bit like Bathurst. Yeah. You know, the, the atmosphere on a Saturday night there with uh, <laughs> people sitting around their campfires and the, and the pubs rocking. Uh, there's nothing else to do there except that. And it's just a, a great weekend. I never, ever go away from there not having said, what a fantastic event this is. And it's not exactly for the racing. The racing's good, but it's because of the event and the atmosphere, the ambience. Often often the way, it's. I think they've, they've hit the nail on the head in Adelaide with the motorsport festival they do over there. There's not really any racing, but you get to see a whole lot of interesting cars. And Adelaide, like in the Grand Prix years, comes alive with, with motorsport. And uh, when you get events like that, they're, they're more memorable than some of the ones where you go and watch cars just go uh, screaming past you for, yes. for six hours. Um, yeah. Chris... We're rapidly running out of time, unfortunately. I'd really like to touch on with you um, your competition racing time. Um, you drove with Paul Gover and Michael Stahl as a Class C winner in an XR6 Falcon in the uh, 1997 GTP three-hour. Yeah, I did. I, I, I did a little bit of racing, not as much as I uh, would have liked to have done because I always relied on somebody else to pay for it, Darren. Me too. <laughs> Being a journo. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I actually had started out doing a, um, doing a season in Holden Gemini's at Lakeside uh, with a very well-known um, driver from his name, name uh, from his day, named Ian Cornes, Doctor Ian Cornes, um, mm. who um, an old timer like Gary might remember as um, being the driver of the famous MG Super B, X Works uh, twin cam MGB uh, yeah. that raced raced in the uh, 60s and 70s. So I did a season at Gemini's and then uh, Toyota invited me to do a couple of rounds of the ARC and uh, Toyota Celica's run by Neil Bates. I did a couple of other rallies and then um, and then along came an invitation from Ford to uh, to join a media team with Paul Gover and um, and Mike Stalin run at Bathurst in the uh, GTP three hour in 1997. I was allowed to do a, um, a, um, a pre-Bathurst uh, uh, warm up if you like down at Malala and uh, that all went well and um, so we went to uh, we went to Bathurst and uh, and bombed around and um, what a fantastic experience it got wet that, that, that day too didn't it? Memory serves me right that race well, get I was, wet I was driving thank goodness <laughs> I think it, towards, towards the end of the race it got wet like an, an absolute bath, uh, baptism of fire um a colleague of ours, Tim Robson, has just done his first Bathurst event uh, at Easter in a, in a BMW 125 and uh, wrote about, um, you know, the, um, the the shock of going out to Bathurst out on Mount Panorama for the first time and, um, and um, you know, the, the experience of it, the discomfort of it and the uh, the amount of traffic that's around you and, and how you feel totally lost. And I wrote back to him and I said, that's exactly how I felt. I got out there and I didn't know what I was doing. I, you know, my helmet was hitting the, the rail bar. Um, the radio wasn't working. Uh, everything was wrong with it. And I was just, I didn't know what I was doing. And, you know, all I was doing was looking in the mirrors. And as I came over Skyline for the first time, I stuck to the right-hand side to get out of the way. And John Bow came through on the left-hand side in Ross Palmer's uh, 348 Ferrari and just clipped me across the nose. <laughs> as he went down to the dipper and I thought this is this is my first lap and I've just wiped out John Bow in a Ferrari <laughs> and, 
after the session, I went back and apologized. He said, oh, I didn't notice, mate, no trouble. <laughs> but every session I went out from there, I felt better and better and better until I finally got on got on the pace in the race. So that's Bathurst. And uh, I only did it once, never forgotten it. Fantastic. Now, there seems to be a bit of a passion, uh, Gaz mentioned in his intro with you, the, uh, the 1963 Fiat Abarth you've got. I put that in because I was hoping that Gary had been around long enough to remember it and see it. <laughs> yeah. Well, has it been finished yet? <laughs> no, it's not finished yet. Um, but it's close. Yeah, that's what they all say. I've had the thing since um, I've had the thing since uh, the early seventies, and uh, when I was went overseas for a while, and it sat, and then I got it back and ran it, and then. Cameron McLean, um, who was a race driver up here, who was also an Italian car expert, said, oh, you better get onto that and do it. So I did, and then it fell aside again. So um, now that I've pretty much retired, I'm promising myself that it, um, it's going to go ahead. But, I, you know, my um, it's a 1963 Fiat Arbath 1000, which is a pretty rare little car, certainly in Australia. Um, and uh, it, it raced in period. I understand it was uh, driven by Brian Lawler. Gary, it was metallic blue with chrome wheels. Oh, <laughs> chromies um, back in those days. Chrome, yeah. yeah. And, um, that was a big thing. It went from uh, it went from Brian Lawler to um, to a guy called Eric Ansich, and the Ansich family were pretty well known for building and racing Fiat's um, out at Bankstown and Greenacre. Um, and I bought it, and um, it, it, it was it was pretty much written off at a, in uh, 1967 at Amaru Park, and um, they rebodied it and. Uh, I bought it. They, had, they have to run those cars with the uh, the hood ajar yeah, to let some the back. cool that's, air into them. That's exactly what mine is like. Um, <laughs> it's got some, um, you know, it's a pretty ordinary car with some with some priceless bits in it. If you go and um, go online now and and price the aluminium, you know, the cast aluminium sump, it's about fifteen hundred bucks. If you go, if you go and price the Jaeger mechanical taco, it's about the same price. Um, in, and the, uh, the 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 girling disc brakes on the front, which are only the size of bread and butter plates, uh, or saucers probably, um, you know, come off the back of a Lamborghini. So it had some had some pretty <laughs> trick stuff in there, and yeah. it was it was a a nine hundred and eighty cc car that did one hundred and sixty kilometres an hour. Um, pretty impressive stuff, isn't it? Yeah, it's great. So uh, one of these days, I'll I'll knock it over. But that's my um. That's my uh, my pride and joy project these days. So well, don't um, leave it too long. No, you're right, mate. I, I I'm very conscious of that. Yeah. I I have the valance going all right, is it? Yeah, still got it. <laughs> I still got it. <laughs> Charger, the daily driver. It'll let you get away with it, mate. Uh, no, it's um it's a bit like the uh, first fleet axe. It's had a, quite a few bits of change on it, but it's still there. That's right. That's that's the way these old cars go. But I, uh, I love them. So um, you know, that's um, that's really the story of my involvement in um, in motorsport. It started uh, it started when I was a young teenager, and it's um, it's still going undiminished. That's great it, to hear. It is fantastic, Chris, and it's um, it's a story that rings true pretty much across the the uh, the twenty four of these Napa Auto Parts grassroots racing podcasts we've done, and it's it's you know once it's bitten you, it's it's got you. Um, you know, I I myself I you sort of 
come from a mechanical background and everyone talked footy and cricket in the workshop. And I was like, I don't know about this stuff. You know, you, why aren't we talking about car racing? And then every now and again, you'd come across a, a like-minded mechanic that was building something or doing something. And it, uh, you do meet some great people along the way. I was lucky enough to meet my, uh, my co-host here, Gary O'Brien along the way. And, uh, we, uh, we have a great old time every time we go to the racetrack. It's been a while between events, hasn't it, Gaz? It has. Certainly has been a while. The one thing the one thing I would I would sort of uh, probably regret about what I've done or not done is that I, re- I always reckon, this is my closing remark, I, I've always reckoned that there's a, you know, there's, there's, there's a great book in Australian motorsport about the characters. We've all written about the cars and the stars and all that sort of thing. I'd love to see a book written written about about all the characters and all the shonks and all the weird dealers and urges. Yeah, we'll have to wait till each of them pass before you wrote about them, though, wouldn't you? Well, a bloke has just written a book like that in the UK. It's been published in the past 12 months. Okay. So I'd be fascinated to get a copy of because that's the nature of motorsport. And I picked up on that because Darren said, once you're in it, you're hooked. Yeah. And, you know, you see so many people who come into it and um, they haven't really got the background in motorsport. But they they get involved and um, and they're hooked. Remember there was a there was a bloke around a Ferrari team. I don't know that he was generally a motorsport guy, but you know who I mean, Darren. Um, Tony Rafters. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know who was um, you know a, a, a very big investor in motorsport. Absolutely. I never knew the, whether he was much of an enthusiast, but he was certainly one of those guys who who came in, um, you know, in a big way. And then... There's never been any more Ferraris on track than when he was bringing them to the track, that's for sure. They've yeah. certainly dropped off in, in numbers. Hey, Chris, um, you've had your closing remarks. You volunteered them up to us, and uh, we've, we're running, <laughs> we've run out of time. <laughs> um, absolutely fantastic chatting to you, and... and Gaz and I have managed along the way to to squeeze um, some administrators, some you know promoted people, even you know like and yourself from the from I guess our domain, the the media aspect of it. It's been wonderful chatting with you and reflecting on your career and the memories that that you've brought along. And um, still, those big block Monaros, I close my eyes and they keep me awake at night. So uh, I'm glad they do for you as well. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank you very much for inviting me. It's um, it's been terrific, and um, the best part of it to me is that we recall um, the best of grassroots motorsport. Fantastic. Good on you, Chris. Thank you very much for your time. Well, Gaz, wasn't that terrific to uh, get Chris on there for uh, for episode number twenty four? Um, what a character and like yourself, a hardworking guy in the background that gets all the stories out there on time, every time. What, what uh, we didn't put the air, I guess, is probably some of the more fascinating stuff, you know, characters in motorsport. And I think we should look more at that sort of thing because that's why we all do it. Absolutely. It's what drags us along, isn't it? Yeah. Like, like you and I, mate. Yeah, that's exactly right. Plenty of racing on the weekend from Phillip Island, Winton, uh, Barber Gallo, Wanneroo, whatever it's called now, Carco.com.au. Yeah, we're uh, Hidden Valley, Queensland Raceway. It was going on all over the place. There, there was. A, actually, we, well, we've we seen pretty well on Fox and KO what happened over in uh, Western Australia at Cargo.com.au race, Raceway with Supercars, Super 2, Super 3, GTs, the Super Utes with their uh, 19 vehicle field pretty good uh, start of the season and the historic touring cars and 
seen those Camaros over those Western Australian Camaros. Boy, are they quick. Uh, there was no um, Aldo Di Pioli. We didn't need him because Stubber turned up for Sunday's races and creamed them. Uh, Saturday and Sunday, I think he missed the Friday race. And uh, Clinton Rayner in his Camaro uh, was a front runner there as well. Um, other meetings sort of that were mentioning is that the Superbikes were racing at Queensland Raceway. Aussie Racing Cars were one of the sport uh, events there. Gerald Heindrich won the round, didn't win all the races, only won one race, and all four races were won by different people. And one of them that, that took my eye was uh, uh, Brandon Madden. In uh, He's a saloon car HQ whatever driver, and um, his first run, he was a rookie, and he won a race. That's not a bad effort. And then, of course, uh, we had Reese Chapman win a race. And young Ryland Gray, son of Jero Gray, won the last race. And uh, not bad for a 16-year-old, the youngest uh, guy running there on the weekend to get a win. He'd been doing uh, Toyota 86s in New Zealand. And uh, he's also been involved in some other categories as well, like XLs last year, whatever. So, um, yeah, so they next go down to Tasmania, to Simmons Plains, to join the supercars down there in a couple of weeks' time. Um, Phillip Island, you mentioned, of course, was uh, we've seen the uh, prototypes have their first round. And uh, the Joker in John Paul Drake won all three races uh, to take overall honours. Bill Hughes, a great mate of ours, been on our show. He finished second in uh, in the class. And um, the... Uh, w- although he didn't start the last race, had a fuel... Oh, he didn't finish the last race, had fuel pump problems throughout the weekend and it just packed up in the last race, but took the Radical SR8 out and uh, was part of that field. And uh, uh, and I got a reminder too from Phil today. It's uh, it's for sale, so uh, oh, straight off the go. back of uh, off the back of getting second place in round one for the series for sale at a at a very reasonable rate. Look, look. So what's he going to do? Going to jump into a wolf or something now? Is he? There, there's something going on. Yes, there is definitely <laughs> something going <laughs> on. And, and although we've had to fill on as a guest, he 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 will be a little bit coy as to what's going on. But look, what. What really stood out when I read the ad for the car that, that Phil's got out there was that he is going to come along and support that person for the first season in that car. So a guy that engineered Alan Simonson to race wins, you know, has has become a race car driver himself. And I'd, I'd, I'd struggle to point to anyone else that you'd want in your corner if you're going to, you know, launch a prototype season would be none other than than Phil Hughes. You, you but, would be, you would have... A car that's engineered brilliantly, presented brilliantly, prepared brilliantly, and you'll have the right person in your ear getting you the, getting the job done. Well, there's also his young bloke. I think he's sort of at that age where he might want to jump into something as well. So I'm yeah, not sure his young bloke's got one. the cash he needs to buy the car of his dad, though. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that it'd be. It might be something a little bit tamer to start with. I would yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, up the road at Winton, we had the first round of the Super Truck Championship, and uh, Shannon Smith, I think, came out the winner there. They had XLs racing up there as well. Uh, fifty cars, would you believe? Uh, joined. Uh, sorry, fifty cars. They were at the uh, Phillip Island event, which was a um, access meeting. So we had. Uh, trophy class and masters class as you you've called them before you know how how big of events they are for those two xl classes yeah but up at um uh winton we had um the victoria motor race championships which is run under the 
AAA banner, and they had one awesome. week after the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championship. Yeah, exactly. As well, yeah. it's strange, and isn't they, it? Where in the XLs, a second generation State Series racer, Cadell Ambrose won all three races. So uh, it was a historic moment yeah. at that race too. He didn't um, didn't fare so well down at Phillip Island though. Finished fourth for the round. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> so yes. I know you're his personal media manager. and No, I'm not. I'm, I'm actually not. It's just I raced against his dad and his mum and dad are great uh, people. No. Uh, I, anyway. We'll I don't even call XL races in the state series. <laughs> um, Hidden Valley was around for the High Tech Oils Super Series. And headlining that, those categories up there were the uh, TA2 muscle cars for their uh, King of the North event, which was a... Uh, accumulated points over six races for the two driver pairings. And in the end, that was taken out by Dylan Thomas and uh, Tim Brook. They won $20,000 for that effort. Not a bad thing. You don't see prize money in circuit racing anymore, do you? Yeah. And, and they had a 65-lap race of HQs for the Crocodile Cup. And that was won by go. Luke Harrison and Sean Boland from New South Wales. So they went, it was worth their while going out there to bring home a cup that I imagine looks a bit like a crocodile. Probably does. Hey, Gaz, we are fresh out of time. A couple of events coming up, of course, is uh, uh, round three of the Victorian State Circuit Racing Championships at Phillip Island, 26th and 28th of May. All the usual categories on there as well. But uh, still, the events are rolling out. Uh, flat out at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, and that same weekend, the third round of the New South Wales Motor Racing Championships is on at Sydney Motorsport Park. Well, episode number 24, Chris Nixon was our guest. We've had a great old laugh with uh, with Chris and some, some good times held in his illustrious career. I guess it's time from uh, Daz. And uh, Daz, have a great day. Thanks for joining us for episode number 24 of the Napa Auto Parts grassroots racing podcast see you on episode 25 all the best see you in a couple of weeks you've just listened to another network R production 